Take your Bible, if you would, and join me in Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. I don't know if you've ever received a phone call like this before or not, but maybe many of you have. We're anticipating some news. We may have heard of some natural disaster in a certain part of the country where we have loved ones or friends. Maybe we heard of some event or some accident that took place and we're wondering what happened to our own loved ones. And so many times a phone call that we receive and there's some anxiety surrounding the the ringing of the phone. And then the phone is answered and the first words that we hear are something like this. Okay, first of all, everyone's okay. And then we can start to unpack the rest of the news. But those words are intended to still the storm that is at times raging within. We hear those words. I want you to know before I say anything else, everything's okay. Maybe you're a parent and and someone calls and they say, okay, first of all, we want you to know your son's okay. Now we know that there's some additional news coming, but that piece of news right there, even in the midst of the storm, with uncertainty, with challenge, with issues, it's going to be okay. What we're about to see in Romans chapter number eight is what the Holy Spirit must have anticipated we would need after seven chapters of Romans. And specifically understanding that we are saved by grace apart from works in its entirety. But we, we get to Romans chapter 7 and we start to read things like Romans seven eleven, For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Lord, I need some help with this. We find ourselves in Romans chapter 7 verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. That This seems to be the reality of our lives. And then we get to Romans 7, 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I mean, this is, this is where we have come from in Romans chapter 7. And, and God, the Holy Spirit says, I know exactly where you are. You are right where I want you to be. And he begins this phone call by saying something that we so desperately need to hear. When you're climbing a mountain, there is something that is called a false summit. And and if you've ever climbed a mountain or even a range or series of great hills, you'll know that oftentimes as you're ascending, you feel like you see the summit. You feel like you see the peak. And, and you get there and you, you feel like you're almost ready to conquer the mountain that you were climbing. And then as you ascend that summit, you find that it was a fault summit. There are still summits yet to climb. But I do want to, to, to say, to state, I want for us to know that as we ascend Romans chapter 8, It is no false summit. What you're about to hear in Romans chapter 8 verse number 1 is not something that that God the Holy Spirit is going to lift your hopes and then dash them upon the rocks of disappointment. 
When we come to Romans chapter 8, verse number 1, we find that in the book of Romans and, and dare we say it, in the Christian life, we find this summit of God's grace. And today, regarding a title for our message, we will title it The Mountaintop of Grace. Your Bibles are open right now to Romans chapter 8. Look with me, if you will, at verse number 1. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, there is therefore now. Can we say those next two words together? There is therefore now no condemnation. Let's say that again. There is therefore now no condemnation. Let those words roll over your mind. Let yourself for just a moment, in a sense, bask in the warmth of the sunlight of his grace. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And and then he very graciously gives us this descriptive phrase of, of the life of the believer who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Today, we're going to just break this verse down and we're going to, to glean what I pray will be six statements from Romans chapter eight that as we start to fully understand who is it that we are, what is our position in Christ? then we begin to live like who we are in Jesus Christ. The first of those six statements, and and early on we'll try to move rapidly through these statements and then spend a little more time as as we get to the heart of this verse. The first thing that we see here is a summary statement. A summary statement. There is therefore. On 27 different occasions, The Apostle Paul is building a case and so he uses the expression, therefore. So he uses it repeatedly because he is thinking as as a mind that is processing a person from one point all the way through this Christian existence, our life in Christ. So he'll say, therefore, therefore, therefore. But when we start to think about the therefore in context with condemnation, there are really two places where he uses this therefore in a very powerful way. The first one is found in Romans chapter 3 verse 20 and he says, therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Okay, therefore by the deeds of the law you are not going to make it to heaven by the deeds of the law, period. Therefore, we've concluded after all we've looked at, the law serves a purpose, but the law can't save you, the law can't sanctify you, but the law does bring you to a point where I know my condition before God. But he says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh be justified in his sight and Romans chapter eight, verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Just as Paul was teaching in Romans chapter seven, that no believer, and by the way, not even an apostle, Paul references himself specifically 
repeatedly and undoubtedly he is calling himself to task in Romans chapter 7 along with all believers just as no believer not even an apostle is exempt from sin he is also teaching in Romans chapter 8 that every believer every believer from the weakest most feeble one to those that are mature in Christ we are completely secure and will never face any condemnation because every Christian is in Christ Jesus. So this is his opening summary statement. But let's quickly move on as we continue to look at this wonderful truth. So we do see a summary statement, but then we also see a timely statement, a timely statement like, oh, wow, I needed that right now. There is therefore now. There is therefore now. This emphasis here is that you are not waiting until heaven to hear the pronouncement of justification. It's proclaimed right now. The Greek word used here for now, it simply means immediately. This isn't something that we're waiting for, we're hoping for. This justification happens at the moment of salvation. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to experience freedom from condemnation. It happens at the moment of salvation. Yes, at this very moment, at this very moment, you are free from any and all condemnation. We, we might wish to make people think that this may someday be attained, but, but not let them believe that that is theirs right now, the here and now. Like, you know, hey, keep hoping for this, keep working for this. No, 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 no. There is therefore now. If the drunkard walks into the rescue mission and like the Philippian jailer asks this question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. That same drunkard may leave with the headache of a hangover, but he is at that very moment living with no condemnation. You have this gift now, not only when you arrive in heaven and fully appreciate the gift, that's not what we're speaking of. We're talking about you have something right now. So we have this summary statement. We have a timely statement. But I want you to know you also have today at this very moment an absolute statement. There is therefore now no. You're going to note that in your Bible, if you're looking today at a copy of the authorized version, the King James Bible, the words there is are italicized. So that means that those are added for readability. Literally, he's saying, therefore, now, no. He, he's getting to the point in Romans chapter 8. And the Greek word here is an emphatic no, I can't overemphasize how strongly the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate this expression of there is therefore now, no, I, I don't know what situation you could put yourself in where you would say no, no, absolutely no. But the Holy Spirit is saying in no uncertain terms, there is therefore now, and then he uses a word that's actually a double negative. 
The, the word here, one commentary wrote, the negative is much stronger than the ordinary word used for no or not. It's in its emphatic form, rendered even more emphatic that the word is used to actually begin the sentence. In the gospels, there are five times when people, human people, they use this expression, no, and every time they used it, there was some failing with the word. For example, in Matthew 26, verse 35, Peter said, though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. He's saying, no, no, Jesus, I will not deny you. He, he even at one point says, now these may, me, no. And he says it in such an emphatic way that there's to be no doubt about it. Any listening said, well, he, he categorically said, there's no denying Christ, but deny Christ he did. You know, there was another time when Jesus was attempting to wash Peter's feet and he says, no, thou shalt not wash my feet. But Jesus did. Thomas, do you remember the doubter? Except I see the, the print of the nails in his hand, the print of the nails in his feet. And unless I myself thrust my fist into his side, no, I will not believe. And Thomas had but see the face of Jesus and he bows in humble adoration, my Lord and my God. You know, Jesus, it is said, uses this expression nearly 40 different times. When the Holy Spirit comes to this point and he says, no, there is therefore now no. You know, there are times when you and I give some emphatic no, but we rescind, we back up. In fact, <clears throat> there may well be some wives in here that the first time your husband asked you out, you gave an emphatic no. But now you're sitting next to him and, and you're actually glad you said yes. There is hope for some of you guys who have gotten that emphatic no, okay. There is something in scripture when he says, there is therefore now no. There is no question that this will never be rescinded. God who cannot lie says there is therefore now an absolute statement. Jesus himself said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall, same word, no, they shall not pass away. How many times have you ever said, I will never do that again? And yet found yourself failing. I will never say that again. I will never watch that again. I will never hurt this person again. I will never lie or cheat or steal or be unfaithful again. I will never, and you fill in the blank. These seem to be vain and empty resolutions. But when Jesus said, I will never, no, I will never, I will not leave thee nor forsake thee. What Jesus says, he means. Yes, this is an absolute statement. There is therefore now, positively, absolutely, now, no. Well, we see that this is a summary statement. It's a timely statement. It is an absolute statement. It is also a liberating statement. A liberating statement. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now pause for a moment and let the beauty of that statement just sink 
deep into your soul. No condemnation. Now, before we go any further, we have to note that Paul is not saying there are no grounds for condemnation. Most assuredly, there are. We have a whole host of charges that can be laid against us. Now, you know yourself better than most. You know yourself. What charges could you bring up against yourself? And let's, let's be gracious to ourselves. Maybe charges only from this past year. Not, not the entirety of your life, just charges that could be brought about you and your life and, and our offense before God just this past year. Or, or maybe we say, oh, that's too, too great a time. Okay, how about this past month? Or this past week? And sometimes we say, this morning. There is therefore now no. The grounds for the charge seem to fill our mind rapidly. We're prideful and pride rears its ugly head. Whenever someone calls our abilities or our talents or our position or our worth into question. How many of you have ever felt as if you were being overlooked or underappreciated or believe that you're being poorly treated Pride has a way of highlighting our worth and wants others to recognize it. We're often hypocritical. We work to present a facade of goodness, kindness, caring that are all too frequently inconsistent with how we truly feel. We can be secretive, living two lives, one that is publicly pleasing and another that is completely unwholesome and anything other than our public persona. We can harbor secret thoughts of bitterness seeking for evidence that supports our bitterness. We find the failings of others blind to our own shortcomings and judge others by a standard that we don't wanna be judged by ourselves. We can be given to an appetite of any number of things, all of which bring evidence against us that demands a verdict of guilty and worthy of condemnation. So while there are clearly grounds for condemnation, the Apostle Paul very strongly says there is therefore now no condemnation. The word for condemnation is found in the book of Romans and it's used twice in chapter 5 and then only one other time right here. Three times in all of scripture. This exact Greek word. The idea is presented elsewhere but this word three times. Have you ever gone to pay for your meal and then you discovered that someone has already paid for it? You know you've incurred a debt, but there is no debt to be found. It's been marked paid in full. It was Charles Wesley that wrote the words, no condemnation. There's no payment left. It has been marked paid in full. No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Martin Luther, the great reformer, once wrote the following. It is impossible for a man to be a Christian without having Christ. And if he has Christ, he has at the same time all that is in Christ. Now he says further, he says, what gives peace to the conscience is that by faith our sins are no more ours, but Christ upon whom God hath laid them all. And that on the other hand, all Christ's righteousness is ours to whom God hath given it. And then Luther says, Everything which Christ has becomes the property of the believing soul. 
everything which the soul has becomes the property of Christ. So Christ possesses all blessings in eternal life. They are thenceforward the property of the soul. The soul has all its iniquities and sins. They become thenceforward the property of Christ. It is then that a blessed exchange commences. This is why the Bible can say with such an emphatic tone, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now remember, what kind of a judge is God? What kind of a judge? He is a perfect judge. Okay, now let's ask a question and you, you answer this out with reason. Do judges ever show mercy, yes or no? Is that their first job? What's the first job of a judge? The first, the primary jo job of a perfect judge is to mete out justice. If God ever fails to fully mete out justice, he at that moment ceases to be a perfect judge. And God is perfect in all his ways. So this God has done, but not on you. God fully meted out justice and justice was satisfied. Jesus becomes what the Bible uses this beautiful word. We don't use it often, but it's a beautiful word. That Jesus Christ became the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sin. When Jesus said, it is finished, no more could the judging hand of a just judge strike any additional payment on Jesus. It was paid in full. So now if you are in Christ Jesus, that means that there is no condemnation. And you can sing with Wesley, no condemnation now I dread. Jesus is mine and all that is his belongs to you. Scripture does not say, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who sin not. No condemnation to those who are mature in Christ. No condemnation to those who have done appropriate penance or to those who are earnest enough and mean it with all their hearts. No, this verse simply says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We must know that there's a difference and I think it's appropriate for us to say this here. There is a difference and, and all of us need to at least acknowledge this, wrap our head around it. If you are today here, you are watching today and you say, I am in Christ Jesus, wonderful. No condemnation. Please don't confuse that with no consequence. No consequence. Do you know, I think many times today we seek to make grace say something that grace never says. And we begin to try to say, I can do anything that I want and there is no consequence. No, 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 no. There's no condemnation now I dread. That doesn't mean that God never disciplines his children with what, what we might call parental consequence. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We see that Abraham lied and there were consequences. David committed adultery, there were consequences. Peter denied his Lord, there were consequences, but none of them suffered condemnation. Only some earthly consequence. True believers, 
followers of Jesus Christ are living with the reality of consequence. Paul said it again clearly, God is not mocked. Just because we've been delivered from divine condemnation does not mean we will be delivered from divine discipline. However, there is no believer that will ever, ever, ever face any condemnation. Please keep in mind that the last part of this epistle to the Romans becomes intensely practical. And we're going to see like, well, this is how I am to live my life in fellowship with Jesus Christ in accordance with who I truly am. So it's going to deal with matters of instruction. And I think presumably because there were Christians in Rome who are participating in things that should not once be named among them. Yet Paul declares here without any stipulation that for the believer there is no condemnation. Jesus Christ has already suffered all our condemnation and it cannot be suffered again. This would make God an unrighteous judge. So what do we have? Well, we have a summary, a a statement, a timely statement, an absolute statement, a liberating statement. And we also see here a positional statement. A positional statement. It's not stated that there are no failures, no sins, no infirmities, no inconsistencies and fleshly corruptions. But it is said that there is no condemnation. There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So sometimes we might scratch our head. And if you're still processing and you're logically walking along, you might say, how can this be? How is it that there's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Okay, throughout the Old Testament, God continues to give us picture after picture after picture. In fact, some have posited the idea that there is no great Bible doctrinal truth that can't be seen in some illustration in the Old Testament. And I think that that regarding this powerful Bible truth, there are several powerful Bible illustrations or examples that come to us from the Old Testament fleshed out in reality in the New Testament. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, let's remember back into the book of Genesis and we know about a person that the Bible presents to us named Noah. So what does Noah have to do with this, you know, idea of being in Christ? Well, when the ark was finished, God had instructed him, gave him the the directive, I want you to build an ark. When the ark's finished, God invited Noah and his family to come into the ark. Genesis 7-1 says this. And the Lord said unto Noah, come thou and all thy house into the ark. So first, what is he entering into? Well, he's entering into that which God had told Noah to prepare. Okay, here's the plan. This is what I want you to construct. And and so it's all put together exactly as God had directed. And now Noah and his family are supposed to go inside the ark. Well, then the Bible says, Genesis 6, 14, how was that ark prepared? He said, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark and shalt pitch it. That's a really important word. In fact, if if you're looking at it in your scripture, it'd be a word that I'd encourage you to circle or underline and pitch it within and without with pitch. Now, this word in in verse number 14 in Genesis 6 is the same word that we're going to look at right now in Exodus chapter 32, verse 30. Exodus 32, verse 30, it says, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, 
And now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an, and here's the word to circle or highlight or note here. I will make an atonement for your sin. Same word. Same word. Pitch it within and without. I will make an atonement for your sin. You're two steps ahead of me already, but, but the idea of pitch it simply means cover it. Completely cover it within and without. And then when Moses says, you've sinned a great sin, but there is a covering for you. There is something that is actually going to remove the visibility of, it is going to cover over your sin. You may know that the name Noah means rest. Noah was to cease from his labors and find safety and rest inside the ark, his covering from the judgment of Almighty God. Notice also, God doesn't instruct Noah to just hang on to the ark, brother. Listen, um, um, you know, you've built this ark, just hold on, my friend. No, God says, Noah, you get inside the ark. In fact, the Bible records it in Genesis 7, 16. And they went in, went in male and female of all flesh as God had commanded. And the Lord shut him in. The Lord is the one who says, I'm going to secure you. You go inside the ark and you rest from your labor. This is ultimate security. God had secured Noah and his family from the wrath that was on the outside of the ark. The ark was atoned. It was covered and it separated Noah and his family from the judgment outside the ark. It made them completely secure inside his salvation. Do you know what Jesus invites us to do? To find ourselves complete in him. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God looking at Jesus Christ, perfectly God, says you are acceptable to me and I in Christ find my acceptance in the same. When Jesus said, it is finished, the hand of a righteous judge could never again smite him. If the hand of God can never again touch the one who finished the work, then it can never again smite you or me. It is a summary, a timely, an absolute, a liberating, a positional statement. And it is also just to make this this statement, we'll explore this further, but it is also a descriptive statement. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Don't be confused by this. This is not the qualifier for like, oh, I'm gonna lose this if I, to those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is who we are, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. These last few lines are a description of the Christian life. It will be further explained as we come to the end of verse number four in Romans chapter eight. It's not a condition of the Christian life. In fact, John Phillips wrote, there are no conditions attached to the freedom from condemnation. Grace writes an unconditional guarantee. Is this, let me ask you, how you are living with no condemnation now I dread? Or do you continue to condemn yourself for that which God has already forgiven? 
They were rather smug about it. They thought, certainly this time we have him. And they drug her, and quite frankly, and not to be overly graphic, but as they drug her, she most likely clung to the cloth that was covering her because she was caught in the Bible's own description, the very act of adultery. So it may well have been the sheet on the bed with which she now wraps around her and her face is marked with tears. They have her. Oh, they'd planned the whole thing. They knew where to find her, when to find her, the circumstances which would suit their cause. And so they bring her before Jesus, dragging her, 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 her tears profound, and they lay her in a heap and they say, now what will you do? The law of Moses, John 8 records for us this event. The law of Moses says that she is to be stoned because she is an adulteress and she was caught, Jesus, in the very act of adultery. What will you do with her? And Jesus kneels down and he takes a stick. He begins to draw in the sand. And we do not know what Jesus was writing in the sand. Quite possibly the names of those that these Pharisees had also been guilty of defiling themselves. Maybe it was just in the secret chambers of their minds that Jesus was now exposing. But, but as one looks down and, and sees what Jesus is writing, Jesus, I ask you a, a question. And he walks off and another and another from the oldest to the youngest. And Jesus continues to study the dirt before him and trace lines in the sand. And finally, Jesus looks up and the Bible records, saw none but the woman and said unto her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. Can you hear those words come mixed with the sobs that are deep in her heart? Caught in the very act if you want to talk about someone who is condemning themselves, it is clearly her. Jesus recognizes the value of the law. He is not saying that, that you have done no wrong. What Jesus is saying is where are those that, that seek to condemn thee? There is no man, Lord. And now Jesus offers those words, neither do I condemn thee. Now go and sin no more. Now go, live like, who, live like you are truly meant to live. Go and, and live no more as a child of this world. Go and live as a daughter of the king. Live as who you are. There are some in this room today that there are, there are none that can truly say before a God who has said there is therefore now no condemnation, who is there to condemn you? If God before us, who can be against us? And now Jesus with such endearing terms says, neither do I condemn thee. My friend, 
There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. May we live as who we are, the children of the King, with no condemnation.